Let's just close our eyes and just look at him. Just close your eyes and, and look at Jesus. Jesus, we see you. We see you, Jesus. Father, do you see us? Because if Genesis is any indication, it's possible for you not to see us. You came looking for Adam and you asked, where are you? Father, I pray that the depth of intimacy that we have with you, Lord, that it would never be backtracked, but it would always intensify and go deeper. Father, may we be seen as a people who are caught up in your gaze, that we look at you and we never look away. Truly a people that walks in the fear of the Lord that you break our heart for what breaks yours. Lord, that we would laugh when you laugh, that we would cry when you cry, that we would jump for joy when you do, and we would fall on our knees and weep when you do. Lord, we want to become everything that you spilled your blood for us to be. We invite you in this place, Holy Spirit, May this not just be a time of religious duty. May this be a time of radical kingdom encounter. May we be the people, may we be the bride that you're coming back for, a bride that, was, that is without spot or wrinkle, a bride that is costly, that in Song of Solomon, she said, oh, brides-to-be, hear it said that there is none like him to me. There is none like Jesus to me. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way, Lord. Strengthen us as we function in our weakness. May your strength be made perfect, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. I'm just taking a quick second. I don't want to be really fast to move from one thing to the next. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Um, I, I always come from this perspective within worship that I would much rather sit in a place too long than move from a place too quickly because it's much easier to sit in a place and be like, okay, I know that we're done. I know we're done and move on to the next thing than it is to blaze right to the next thing and then think to yourself, oh man, something was just happening there and I missed it. You can't go back and, re <laughs> and, and grab it. You know, sometimes the Lord is faithful in the, in the sense, or he's merciful in the sense of he'll allow you to go back and he'll rekindle it just like that. But many a times he's waiting for us to actually be slow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just so you guys know, like when we worship, you may think to yourself at times, man, we're like really taking our time and we're really breathing, <laughs> you know, like we're not really foot stomping, hand clapping, rushing to the next thing. 
Uh, it's because we really want to make sure that the, we, we want the Lord to know that he has complete permission to come in and to just do what he wants to do. And what does that look like? It looks like waiting on him. How do you grow in that? You sit and you wait on the Lord. Um, you learn his, his flow. You learn how to um, come in agreement with what he's doing in the room instead of latching yourself a hold of what you think. And, and many a times it is so uncomfortable because you hate people just standing there because don't get me wrong, there's some people that walk into an environment like that and they're just, they have, you can tell who has cultivated time in the secret place because they'll walk into a room like this you know, they'll walk in like Oren does and he'll just like go and get lost. And you're like, we're not even worshiping anymore. And he's still gone, you know, <laughs> but it's because he's caught up in Jesus. Same thing for, you know, Jacob and, you know, Gary, Tabitha, you know, you come in, people are on their faces. Why are they on their faces? Because they're beholding the king. And it's when you learn how to behold him, that's when you'll experience him is when you learn to behold him because he comes where he's welcomed. And where he's welcomed is, man, like if you ever had a surprise birthday party and you walked into a room and all of a sudden people jumped out from every nook and cranny of that room and they were like, surprise, what does it do? You're like, wow, you're all here for me? Like that's what it does to the Lord. He walks in and we're all here waiting in great anticipation for him to walk in. He's the honored guest. I love how it was said that uh, he's the honored guest until he comes and then he's the host. When he walks into the room, then it's like, all right, we, 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 we swap roles here. Now we're following you, you know. But until then, our love and our affection brings him in. And once he's here, our constant just looking at him keeps him here. Uh, and so, yeah, just a, little, just a little tidbit, what we do when we worship. <laughs> the worship team hears this all the time, but you guys don't. So that's why I just thought I'd run us through that. All right, who brought their Bibles? Let me see the paperback Bibles. John's still got work to do. <laughs> nah, it's all right. Seriously, though, you can't take a pen and, high and underline your phone. There's just something, man, you know, you're just like, bro, notes, get it, get out of here. Got to have paper. Um, well, I just want to talk briefly. I know we don't, um, well, Whatever. Um, I want to talk about uh, intimacy this morning, knowing the Lord. Dad, for the last couple months, has uh, touched on this topic and has, and has done a beautiful job of teaching on knowing the Lord, actually knowing Jesus and having a personal relationship with him. We are not going to be a community of believers that changes our language, but does not change our actions. Does that make sense? Because there are some times in church culture, because I've grown up in church culture my entire life, and it's very easy to change the language and make people feel like what you're doing is new, but you have not changed anything. And because people are impressed by the way you talk. You know, it's like, I mean... We've got people in colleges and philosophers and things like that, and they can say a lot of long, difficult-sounding, complex phrases, but at the end of the day, it's like sometimes you didn't say anything. You said a bunch of stuff, but you said absolutely nothing. 
And the church, unfortunately, in some instances, has latched a hold of that to where it's like, well, if we sound like we're in love with Jesus, then people will just assume that we're in love with Jesus because we sound like we are. But you can't sound like it because there's a reason why... It says that Jesus is coming back for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. That is all visual descriptions of the bride he's coming back for. It doesn't say anything about he's coming for a bride that sounds like she is pure. Or she is a bride that sounds like she is this. The Lord's not listening for his bride. He's looking for his bride. And so when he's looking for his bride, he's looking for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. And so you know that because when you walk into a room without spot or wrinkle is seen. And so that's why you can walk into a room and you can hear somebody, whether it's from the worship, from the worship or the pastor, and they'll preach a message to you. I've been in churches where I walk into a room and the worship team is singing, worthy is the lamb. And it's like, cool. And then you walk into another church And you hear that same song, worthy is the lamb, but your knees start to get weak and you begin to literally tremble on the inside because there's weight to what's being sung. Why? Because it's being sung from a place of purity, a place of intimacy, and a place of actually being convinced worthy is the lamb. And so we are not going to become a culture that changes the songs we sing or the words we speak before our actions Our actions will always come first. And then the language, I mean, there have been times where like John and I will sit down and we'll have a conversation and we'll be talking and and we'll be like, man, I'm, 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 I'm running after this, but I have no idea how to put words to it, but I'm just doing it. I want us to be there to where we're running after something and we're not looking for the perfect language to articulate what you're in pursuit of. It's just that you want him. And then later on the revelation comes, you're reading the scriptures or whatnot, and then you're like, that puts words to the desire of my heart, to the cry of my heart. So we have to know Jesus. And I think it's really important too because I'll say this, you will not make it through the days that are coming if you do not know the Lord. If you say you do, but you don't. Like, I, we, we went to uh, Power and Love last year, and it was Todd White and Brian Guerin. And Brian Guerin, my goodness, like, you talk about the perfect mix of someone who loves the Lord and can be super buff and attractive at the same time. Man, like, he's got it. Like, I look at that dude, like, he picks up his Bible, and his arms are just like, like, Lord, <laughs> do it in me. No, but uh, he, um, yeah. He was talking about how the Lord has, has and, and if you guys have never heard of Brian Guerin, I strongly recommend you guys check out uh, their podcast, uh, Bridal Glory is their ministry, and just his teaching on intimacy and time with the Lord is amazing. But one of the things that he had shared was the scripture that was really burning on his heart that the Lord was giving him a lot of weight, uh, putting a lot of weight on him in terms of the burden of the Lord was the scripture that says that his winnowing fan is in his hand. There's a separation. We're stepping into days where the Lord is going to start separating the wheat from the tares. He's going to start separating those who say they're with him and those who are just with him. Those who are just with him. And so if we're going to move forward and we are going to choose the Lord, then our lives have to reflect our confession. You know, our confession has to reflect our lives. 
So not to scare us in that way, but these are the days that we're coming into. There's no room for halfway Christianity. There's no room for saying one thing and doing another. The Lord's not gonna settle for that. We used to think he did, but the Lord has not changed and never, he, he never will. And so if you're waiting for the day to plead your case, excuse me, to plead your case before the Lord, that day will never come. Because you may try to plead your case, but you're talking to the one who sees all things, who knows all things, and the motive of your heart as well. So even the things that you haven't spoken, he knows about it. So yeah, it's humbling. <laughs> so what does this all come down to? We have to have our own relationship with the Lord. And so I just want to share briefly, I told you that I've grown up in church my entire life. And growing up in church, the biggest temptation that you run into is living off of your parents' faith, living off of the legacy that is inherently attached to your life. Because anytime I feel like I've been prophesied over as a young boy or growing up, all of the time it has literally been, uh, it's been, it's had legacy coincided with the prophecy. You know, it's like God's going to do amazing things because look at what he's done in your, in your, in your papa, look what he's done in your parents and look what he's going to do in you. It's all generational. And so not to say there's anything wrong with the words that have been spoken, but the way that the enemy tries to work at it is to say it's because of the faith of your pop-up or the faith of your parents that you are going to be successful. Not to take away from what my grandparents and my parents have established. I'm grateful for that. I'm so thankful for that. But if that's what I'm living off of, I am never going to grow into maturity or intimacy with the Lord for myself. Every time I come before you guys, it's going to be, well, my grandpa said. It's going to be, well, my, my dad said. And so there's no ownership there. If, my, if, if every time I came to you, it was to say, well, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said this, I would want to ask the person, well, what do you say about that? What do you believe about that? I mean, you guys have heard my dad tell the story of me as a boy growing up where I would hang out with my friends and we would play video games and we... It, you know, it had gotten to the time to where it wasn't Mario Kart anymore. <laughs> it was a little more harmful. And I wasn't okay with that because I knew what the standards that my parents had. And so I left my friend's house and I told my dad about it. And dad had finally asked me. He was like, well, why did you leave? And I was like, well, because I knew that my parents wouldn't want me to play that. And then you guys have heard the story where dad said to me in response, well, when are you going to own it for yourself? When are you not going to do that, not because your parents don't want you to, but because you see it for what it is, and it's your conviction. It's your conviction. So when we're walking with Jesus, we have to be convinced in who he is, and not just be, well, I know Jesus through Todd White, or I know Jesus through Bill Johnson, or I know Jesus through James. Not even I know Jesus through the Apostle Paul. It's I know Jesus because I've talked with Jesus, I've met with Jesus, I know him. And so it's super, super, super important. The thing that I love that my parents did uh, with B and I growing up was they put us in situations where we saw the Lord do things for ourselves. We always did ministry as a family together. So it was never, mom and dad are out doing ministry and we need someone to watch the kids. It was always mom and dad are doing ministry, the family's doing ministry. We're all in it together. If we were ever out in the sketchy parts of the city doing 
you know, sidewalk truck ministry. We were doing dramas as a family. We were doing ministry as a family. We would distribute food to those in government subsidized housing complexes as a family. We would run into smoke-filled, just stained walls of just apartment complexes where people are literally sitting in their love seats out on the front lawn just smoking away. We would go into those apartments as a family and knock on doors and welcome people to come to the outreach. We did it as a family. (laughs) They weren't careless. (laughs) Like it wasn't, they're not like, man, go and do, you know, that guy looks really sketchy. Go and say something to him. No, it wasn't like, you know, that kind of thing. It was, they were smart. There was wisdom. But we did it as a family. And so the day came when I could not deny what I was seeing the Lord do because I was seeing it. It wasn't my parents seeing it and then telling B and I, look at what the Lord has done. He did this, 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 and this. We all came together and we said, man, we emptied this warehouse. We blessed people with it. And we've seen double come in because we bless people. And that's just the natural uh, principle of the kingdom. When you give, it will be given back to you. Press down, shaking together and running over. Even if you don't want it to, it will. It's the word. You don't have to touch it. It does what it do. <laughs> but we owned it for ourselves. And, and some of you guys have heard me share parts of my testimony where I wasn't living, gee, I wasn't living my relationship with the Lord for myself. I was living off, I was hanging off the coattails of my parents. We were traveling full time as missionaries domestically here in the US. 2014, we were in Sacramento, California. I was getting ready for my day. I was living a complacent Christianity. We were literally telling people about the, about the good news of Jesus every weekend and reaching thousands and thousands of people. But I was not living it for myself. I was doing it because my family was in it, so I was doing it too. I hadn't owned it yet. And, the, and you guys, some of you guys know the story. I'm getting ready for my day. It's early in the morning. I'm brushing my teeth. I just put on worship music for the first time in a while. I had not been listening to music. What you fill yourself with is where your life goes. And I was filling myself with not good stuff. And so my life was plummeting pretty hard. And in the bathroom, Holy Spirit fills up the bathroom. I can't even stand. I fall on my hands and knees. And he grabs a hold of my heart and he says, give me everything or give me nothing right now. He's like, I'm tired of lukewarm. I'm tired of half and half. He would much rather you tell him no to his face than say yes and live a no. And I said, I give you everything. I give you everything. And it was like in that moment, he lifted because all he wanted was to know that he had me. And from that day forward, I started owning it. I started owning it. I started walking it out and recognizing now Oh, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I think I'm seeing the miraculous, but I'm recognizing that the things I'm seeing do not mean that I'm in the right place with you. I can see miracles all day and still be struggling at home. I can go and lay hands on the sick and see amazing healings, miracle signs and wonders take place, and then go home and have ostracized relationships and not even care about people. And so, because Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, if I do all these things but have not love, I am nothing. What is love? Jesus is love. So we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dive in here real quick. 
in uh, Matthew chapter 6. Hey, hey, you should still be there. We were just in Matthew 6, right? Ha ha, that was the Lord. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to talk about where intimacy begins. And um, intimacy is beautiful. It's costly. It has to cost us. If intimacy is not costly, you will not value it, and neither will it be valuable to the Lord. Because following Jesus is costly. But then you get to a point in your following the Lord that you recognize, oh my goodness, all the things that I thought were a sacrifice to give up was actually not a sacrifice looking back now because I realized what I've laid down was something I was never made for in the first place. So to me, it was a sacrifice, but to you, it was just getting something else out of the way to become what you paid for. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm gonna be repeating myself a couple times. You may have heard me say these things already, but I think it's important that we just, we hear it again and again for me too. But anyways, Matthew chapter six, verse five. We're gonna do verse five and six. Jesus is speaking and he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to be seen by other people. Our goal is to be seen by one person. One person. How do you be seen by one person? Well, it starts here. Jesus is saying, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So if, you're, if your desire is to be seen by other people, you are already receiving your reward. You know, if my desire was to be seen by people, what I did this morning, that would be my reward. That's pretty shallow. That's really shallow, because then I just go home, and it's like, well, what now? You know? I heard, a, I heard it was, um, <laughs> anybody a, a Marvel fan in here? Like Marvel movies? All right, cool. Yeah, not anymore. I know, it's, it's rocky right now. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not so good. But anyway, back when they were good, um, the, uh, I think it was, I'm going to get nerdy here for a second. It was uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Best one, by the way, just going to say that. Uh, the guy who played the Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan was his name. And, they, and he had said that when he did that movie, I mean, the movie made like bukus of money and like did a really great job and makes sense. It's a great movie. But for him, he did the movie, did the press tour and everything for it, super successful. And then he went back to live in his one bedroom, one bathroom apartment in Los Angeles, waiting for the next gig. The, way, the next opportunity. That's what living for the approval of people is like. And I'm not saying anything against, you know, being a successful actor or anything like that. If God's called you to it, boom, run at it with all that you got. We need people influencing that, society, that, that part of society. But if my reward, that's a perfect picture of if you're doing these things for this, it's like you get that huge high, that huge amp, you know, you're excited, you're traveling, you're talking to people, everyone's excited to meet you, and then when all that's over, you go home, and life has not changed. Life has not changed. But this is where the true reward lies, is in verse six. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So that's a promise He's saying, if you go into your room and you shut the door, guess who's there? He is. No matter if you feel like he is or not, it's a promise. He is there. 
No matter if you feel like you're worthy for him to be there, he's there. Why? Because my Bible tells me so. Go into your room, shut the door, and your father, who is in secret, he's there. He's waiting for you to come to him and spend time with him and be intimate with him. I was waking up this morning, and I did not feel the presence of the Lord at all. At all. But I had to literally wake myself up to the point of I got myself out of bed, and I'd start walking back and forth in my room, and I said, I'll I'll do this to encourage myself. I'll just say, Lord, I thank you right now that your word tells me that you are here in secret. So no matter how I feel, I know you're here. And I thank you, Father. I just rejoice in the fact of knowing that you are present in my midst, that I see you, even though I don't feel you. I don't have to feel you to know that you're here. And so I just thank you that your manifest presence would come, that you would touch me, Father, because I position myself in the place for you to touch me, because you said in your word that you are here and I am here, so let's love each other. You talk yourself into the presence. We say, it's, we say it's normal when you got a boxer before a boxing match and he's looking at the mirror and he's like, you're the best. You guys remember, what was it, Rocky, Rocky II? Creed's guys are like getting them all hyped up and he's like, you're the best. He's like using like oil and Latin, you know, Latin, getting them all lathered up and everything like that. And he's like, you're the best, you're the best. And he's like, I'm the best, I'm the best. You know, like they get them hyped up, they get them pumped up, and we think that's normal in the world's eyes, but then we think it's weird when we try to hype ourselves up in our secret place with the Lord. David said, encourage yourself in the Lord. You're talking about a man who is running, his father figure is wanting to kill him, and he's hiding out in caves for 15 years. Like this dude knows what he's talking about when he says, encourage yourself in the Lord. Don't wait until you feel the presence of the Lord. When you get in the secret place, you sit there and you say, Father, here I am. I know you're here. And even though my mind doesn't believe it, I know it in my spirit. And I pray that my mind would submit to my spirit. And you'll begin to see the Lord tip the scales in the other way. Instead of you coming at him from an intellectual perspective, he'll tip it to where now you're approaching the Lord and you're stepping into the spirit just like that. But we have to do it daily, consistently. Be with the Lord because Matthew 6 promises that he will be there. Because Jesus also, another reason, another thing why I feel like the Lord wants us to come away into the secret place is because he doesn't want to share you with anything. He didn't make you to share you with anything. He didn't create you and then say, okay, 85% of you is going to be with me. He said, all of you. You know how much of you is made in his image? All of you. All of you. If all of me is made in the image of God, that means he designed all of me for all of him. I have to walk in that. And just as I'm saying this, if the Lord is beginning to reveal things to your heart, I pray that he is, that he's revealing things to where you've tried to maybe add stuff to your life that maybe the Lord cut off for a season. Or maybe it's something that the Lord removed entirely, but you're fighting him on it. But the Lord is just telling you, He's saying, don't worry about it. I'm not willing to share you with anything. And trust me, if you believe that I'm good and that I am who I say I am, you won't want to share me with anything. He sits upon the throne of our hearts. That's his desire. But I pray that for this 
body of believers, that the desire of our heart would be, Lord, you sit on the throne of my heart. Let me not value anything else to the point of thinking that it can compete with you for the throne of my heart. Nothing else should be allowed to compete with God for the throne of your heart. It should be him and no one else, him and nothing else. Now, that's not saying we can't enjoy things. I was hearing this the other day in school, and it was a simple but beautiful revelation to me. And it was give yourself permission to enjoy life. Give yourself permission to enjoy life. Sometimes we think to ourselves, I got to be all about Jesus. I got to be all about Jesus. And that means I can't have fun. Have fun with the Lord. Do it with Jesus. Do it with him. I don't want to be so holy thinking we all all of a sudden got to shave our heads like monks and go sit in a, you know, in an empty room for two years and no one hears of us. And we're all just spiritual robots. That's not what the Lord's calling us to. Paul was a tent maker. Peter was a fisherman. They had things in life. Some of them, they were their jobs and their occupations. Other than them, they had hobbies. They loved to do different things. You know, like I believe with all my heart that Paul, he was probably a poet. He loved to write. You know, and so give yourself permission to live. Give yourself permission to have fun. But do it with the Lord. Don't think that when you're going off and having fun that you're putting the Lord up on the shelf and be like, I'll be back because I got to go do this. I got to go spend time with my family. I'll be right back. (laughs) Bring him into your family. Let's have some fun. Jesus is only, he will only know those who have an intimate history with him. (sighs) Okay, so when we're being intimate with the Lord, what exactly is it that we are doing? Some of you may have heard this term, and it's we are storing oil. How do you store oil? What is that, what is that, what is that like, all right? We're heading into the world is getting darker, but the church is getting brighter. I think that's important. Do not emphasize the fact that the world is getting darker without reminding yourself that the church is getting brighter. Because if you only focus on the fact that the church is getting darker, you aren't looking at it through the perspective of hope and you will not be encouraged to want to reach the world because with no hope, why in the first place? So do not look at the problem without the solution within your eyeline too. Make sure you see Jesus. When you see the darkness of the world, you say, man, but I have the light shining in me. I carry the answer. Okay, so we need to store oil. What is the purpose of oil? Well, when you have lamps or lanterns, you had to have oil to keep the fire burning. The oil was the fuel that kept the fire burning. And so we need to store oil through intimacy with the Lord in the secret place. Because sometimes it can be easy when you get in an environment like this that you assume everyone is burning. But little do you know that now when we all disperse and we all go our separate ways, whatever it is throughout the week, you'll really begin to see who's burning and who's not. Because when you get a bunch of light in the same room, it just creates one big light. It's hard to see the individual pieces and who all is shining and who's not. Sometimes those that aren't burning will reap the benefits of those who are burning when you come into a corporate setting like this. But when you go out And then now you recognize, well, I'm not seeing things out here. Well, are you actually like exercising yourself spiritually and stepping out? Because that may be a a, a determining factor here that you're not burning. But we need to store oil with the Lord. And I think that this is a, a, a beautiful example is, let's go to Matthew chapter 25. 
Are you guys hanging with me? Okay. I just want to make sure that no one's like over here. That was funny, right? (laughs) Matthew chapter 25. I'm just going to read. I don't want to take up too much more time, even though if you're hungry and you're like, well, it's 12 o'clock, we need lunch, die to yourself. Um, Just kidding. (laughs) You'll get to eat lunch. You'll get to eat lunch. Yeah, it'll just, it might be uh, Lunner, right? Dunch, dunch. Anyways, let's go. Matthew chapter 25, verse... I'll just, we'll just start in verse one and I'll just start reading. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Say foolish. And five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. If you have a pen, underline that right there. They took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Underline that. Let's see the correlation between what a foolish person does and what a wise person does. As the bridegroom was delayed... They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, doesn't this sound familiar? Open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Storing oil. The wise brought extra. The foolish brought only what was in their lamps. So when the fire began to diminish, when the night grew late and they all fell asleep and they hear the proclamation, the bridegroom is coming, what did they do? The wise had the new oil left over and they filled their lamps, they trimmed their lamps, they filled the lamps and now they are set and ready for the celebration. But the foolish are looking at their deficit and they're looking at the wise and they're saying, share some of your oil with us. This is is an area where we cannot allow ourselves to become, um, I want to say this the right way. You need to be selfish to a certain degree with your time with the Lord. When you have stored oil and people want you to impart to them part of your history with the Lord, you say, no, 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 you can't touch that. You cannot touch that. This is for me and him. And plus, you cannot impart your history with the Lord to someone else. It's something that has to be built up, you and the Lord. It cannot, it's not a transactional thing between you and other people. 
The best we can do is spend time with the Lord in our own time and then come in, come in in a setting like this and just reveal to you guys just simply what we've been getting from our time with the Lord. Not everything, because it's important that you don't share everything that the Lord is telling you. Don't share everything that the Lord is telling you. Please keep it between you and him. He desires to have secret things with you that are just between you and him. If you share everything the Lord is telling you, there may, you, you may find yourself in a season where you're like, well, the Lord's not saying very many things to me. It's because he doesn't want you to share everything that he's telling you. Some things he's saying are for you. Other things he's saying, he'll give you the go ahead to reveal to other people. But sometimes he wants to know that this is just you and me, you and me. So we need to store oil. We need to prepare ourselves because I used to be afraid of this as a young boy, which was when people would preach of the king is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. It was a huge, uh, there, there, there was a wave of, of, of teaching that really focused on that, uh, you know, just on, you know, the rapture's coming. <laughs> Jesus is coming soon. You know, as I was a little boy and I'm thinking to myself like, no, I want to like get married and have family and like live my life a little bit, you know, like don't come yet. <laughs> But then again, it's like, you won't care. When he comes, you're going to be so looking at him. It doesn't even matter. But we do need to put ourselves back in that mindset of recognizing every day is another step down the aisle to our bridegroom. His coming is closer than it ever has been. Why do we know we're in the last days? Is because what we're seeing in scripture is playing out right before us. Does that mean we know the exact time when Jesus is coming? No, not even Jesus does. Only the Father knows that, scripture tells us. Only the Father knows when Jesus is going to step down and re-enter the gates of Jerusalem and take back the city and be joined to his beloved bride. Only the Father knows that. But until that point, it's important for us to prepare ourselves for what is coming for who is coming. Yeah, that's a better way of saying it. Prepare yourself for who is coming, not what is coming. All right, so I just wanna really quickly just, just focus on this real quick, okay? A great, a great example of looking at someone that stored oil, and he's gotta be my favorite person in the scriptures, in the gospel specifically, is John. John, oh my goodness. I love Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I think their accounts of Jesus are incredible, but John's really stands out amongst the four gospels to me. Um, what, what, what is it? You have the three gospels that are known as the, um, what is it? Synoptic. See, I don't use words like that. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, so they, and because a lot of them have a very similar feel to one another, a lot of them really kind of fill the holes of each other's stories very well. John's is kind of over here, not like the black sheep, but it's over here because you have a totally different perspective. Matthew's view of Jesus is very much through genealogy. He's all about legacy and generations. That's why when Matthew opens up, it says, here's the genealogy of Jesus and literally lays out his entire family line. It's a very boring chapter, but it's an important chapter. <laughs> and then you've got Mark. Mark is like action movie Mark. He just bypassed baby Jesus. He don't care. He goes straight to, he doesn't even really take much time on the baptism of Jesus. He's like, he's in the wilderness almost. We're like, whoa, hold on, what happened? Get whiplash. And Luke is a doctor, as many of you know. And so Luke is getting a lot of his accounts because he didn't walk with Jesus. So Luke is getting his accounts. Basically, his is a documentary film. 
He's going back and interviewing all these people that were with Jesus and writing down their accounts, you know? And then you've got John. And John is so funny and amazing. John is the only of the gospels that starts out establishing that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He takes an entire chapter, John chapter one, plant yourself in John chapter one, in the beginning. We're like, wait a second, hold up, you know? We're not in Genesis, we're in John. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. You cannot separate Jesus from being fully God. He did not lose one drop of his lordship, of his kingship, of being God when he put on a body, okay? And so John establishes that from the get-go. And John also has, he was one of the longest lasting disciples of any of the disciples that Jesus had. And I think a lot of that has to do with how enamored John was with Jesus, like, we just look at him, all right? So I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna run through these quickly because I don't wanna take too much time on this, um, but I also don't wanna hinder what the Lord wants to do. So anyways, let's focus on this, okay? We've got John, number one. John was around Jesus constantly, all the time. Matthew and Mark record that John was one of the disciples who Jesus took with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. John was one of the, because you had the 12 disciples, and then you had the close group of disciples with Jesus. You had the 12, and then Jesus had like Peter, James, and John. Those were like his three amigos. And they were on him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Jesus when he had a moment of literally becoming a glorified body. Like it's, it's a crazy account. But John is a part of this group, and he sees Jesus in this, in this way. And then Jesus, they have the Last Supper, and then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, they take their disciples, and then he takes the three, and they go a little bit further. And then they go a little bit further. John's a part of that group, so John was around Jesus. Second thing was John was in the courtyard of the temple. So Jesus is betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. The guards take him to the temple where Caiaphas, the high priest, is waiting to put Jesus on trial. John had a relationship with the people of the temple, and he gives us an account of this in John chapter 18, verse 15 and 16. And it says this, it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Anytime you read John and you hear another disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved, John's bragging about himself without saying himself. <laughs> It's a humble way to exalt yourself, I guess. I don't know. But anyways, since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So even when you read the gospels and you read that Peter is now in the, court, in, in, in the courtyard, he's there because of John. John got him in there. So John, he's, he's in the garden. He's now in the courtyard of the temple watching all this take place with Jesus. This is the most important part. John was the only disciple at the cross. Yep. You had like three Marys and one John. <laughs> like, actually, I tried to figure out who the different Marys were, but it's, that's like a whole lifetime's worth of studying. But anyways, John was at the cross. John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved 
standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So John loved Jesus so much that when Jesus looked and spoke those words to John, it says that John literally took Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his home and took care of her like she was his own mother. So John is totally obsessed with Jesus. I did miss one thing real quick. At the Last Supper, proximity is everything with the Lord. Proximity is absolutely everything. You've got all the disciples. We've all seen the paintings. You've got the long table, and Jesus is sitting there. And where's John? He's not just sitting next to Jesus. He's straight up resting his head on his chest, hearing him breathing, hearing his heartbeat. Like John, he kind, of, he, he, he kind of even like rubs this in our face a little bit on how cool it is that he gets to sit next to Jesus and it's in John chapter, do, 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 chapter 13, verse 21. I'm just gonna read it. He says, after these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified saying, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciple And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So Peter's too far from Jesus. He's motioning to John. He's saying, hey, John, John, who is it? And John, so the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, he's rubbing it in now said to him, Lord, who is it? And then Jesus says, whoever dips his hand in the bowl with me, he it is that will betray me. So that, we, so John is like all over it. The crucifixion happens. Now you have the resurrection of Jesus. Another, another account is John and Peter are the only two disciples that run to the empty tomb. John goes so far as to account that he was more athletic than Peter and outran the man to the tomb. <laughs> And went as far as to say, just by looking in the tomb, he believed, but Peter had to go in the tomb and touch the garments. Like, John is like rubbing his intimacy with the Lord all over this gospel. It's crazy. It's amazing, but it's also hilarious. And then the last account that I want us to look at is in John chapter 21, right? Jesus has appeared to his disciples, and now Jesus is showing up randomly, I mean, it's like, imagine like the disciples are holding a meeting like this and then randomly Jesus just walks in the room. You're all like, oh, you're here. He says a few words and then boom, he's gone. And you're just like, he could show up at any moment. We need to live like that today. He could walk in at any moment. But in John chapter 21, the disciples were just sitting around. Peter says, I'm going fishing. All the disciples say, yeah, we'll go with you. So they all go out and they go fishing. A similar story takes place to what happens earlier on in the Gospels. They fish all night and catch nothing. All night. But then they see a dude on the shoreline and he says, have you caught anything? And they say, no. He says, cast your nets to the other side. So the disciples cast their nets to the other side. What a surprise. They catch so many fish, they can't even pull the nets up. And after they've caught the fish, Scripture points to it specifically and tells us that John, (laughs) yeah, so in verse 6 of chapter 21 of John, 
He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. So John kind of feels bad for Peter. Now he's telling that he's so, that Peter is an athletic man too because he put on his clothes to get in the water and swim to the shore. And it's hard to swim with clothes on. So Peter must have been really in good shape. Anyways, um, but what's interesting, John was the first disciple to recognize who it was. When you have intimacy with the Lord, you'll be in a situation where things seem crazy and it's tough to find the Lord in the midst of chaos. But in the midst of that, you'll be the first person to recognize, hold on, this is the Lord. He's doing something here because I see something that is familiar to me and I feel something that is very familiar to me. And it's because I've stored oil in the secret place with the Lord. And I can only know his touch publicly if I know his touch privately. And it'll be owned for yourself. Let's all stand up. Um, there are so many, so many, so many things that we can take. Um, I mean, I could just, we could be here all day. We could be here all week just talking about intimacy with the Lord and, and getting, getting ourselves in the place of knowing Jesus for who he truly is. This is not about knowing a Jesus according to us. This is about knowing him, the real Jesus, the only one who is. And um, true intimacy with the Lord will also keep you from making Jesus in your image. We see so many people, so many people within the church trying to accept different things within society in the name of love, but they do not know love himself. And I don't want to see any of us give ourselves into that same mentality that says, well, this is the Lord. Because I heard it said this way, that there's, there's nothing worse than crediting the Lord as doing something that he has no hand in. That's casting, that's casting blame on him. You know, to look at me and to say, well, the Lord, Jesus, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven because, I mean, he's a loving father. He wouldn't limit it to just one way. No, it's he's a loving father and that's why he does limit it to just one way. Because a true father, a true father will put you in a position to actually learn something along the way of your journey. And it puts you in the position of learning more about him. The one way requires you to know him. If I were to search any way and any way is the way to the father, then I don't know the father. I just know the way that I wanna go. And so I just want us to, I just want us to um, just lay ourselves before the Lord in terms of prayer and just commit ourselves to be more intimate with him now than we ever have been. To be more intentional about recognizing those still small tugs when he's asking us, come away with me, come away with me. Because he's the, only, he's the only God I know that you could give him five hours of your day, spend time with him, and then the moment you leave, he's like, just one more hour. And it's not because he hates us, it's because he loves us. And so just close your eyes. And I'm just, I'm just gonna pray 
that the father's desire, that the jealousy that he has for us, we would have that same jealousy for him. And that if your time with the Lord has not been as top of a priority as you know it should be, the Lord wants, he wants to extend that invitation to you again. And he'll continue to extend that invitation again and again and again. And so Father, we just come before you this morning as your bride. Father, you're so amazing that you are the king of the universe. And we believe you for who you say you are. We don't live off of each other's faith. We live off of the faith that you have given to us to know you. And so Lord, I just ask right now that the jealousy that you have for us, we would have that same jealousy for you. Lord, that you would make us a people that cannot go a second without thinking about you. We cannot go a second without longing for you. And I thank you, Lord, that we would live as Jesus lived, which was he had fun. Jesus went from place to place. He lived the life that many of us dream of living. He traveled full time. He was always in a new place, meeting people, praying for people, seeing the kingdom come. Father, you desire to see us walk in these same things today. It wasn't just exclusive to Jesus because he was the son of God. It's exclusive to all of those who yield themselves to you and say, he is my king, he is my Lord, and he is my everything. And so, Lord, I just thank you that we wouldn't pursue a Jesus according to us, that we wouldn't form a Jesus in our own image, but that we would instead pursue the real holy Jesus because we can have as much of Jesus as we want. So I just thank you, Father, for every person here, Lord, that we would just be lost in who you are that we would be challenged more than ever before. And Father, that the next time we find ourselves recognizing the tug of desire that you have for us, I pray that we would answer that tug, that we would separate ourselves. Even if we're in a room full of people and we hear the voice of the Lord just telling us, hey, come and be with me. I pray that we would have the guts to say, guys, I love y'all, but I gotta go and be with the Lord because he has something on his heart. So we just love you, Jesus. Bring us to a place of first love once again. And may we never move from it. May we be wrecked beyond repair. May we be wrecked beyond compare. We love you, Jesus. In your beautiful, precious, holy name, just seal it with thanksgiving and seal it with praise. Just say amen. Amen. Just seal it. Thank you, Jesus.